Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And today we are going to be talking about the Wizarding World's own One-Eyed Willie, Mr. <laughs> Mad-Eye Moody. I could tell you like had a little smirk on your face when you started <laughs> the intro and I was like, what is she going to say? I decided to make a Goonies reference. so mm-hmm. um, Very on brand. It is very on brand for me. Um pop culture anecdote for the day um if anybody are bachelor fans kaylin and dean who got together on paradise just adopted another senior dog after their senior dog that they've had for like almost a year and a half or almost two years they had to put down they adopted a new senior dog where are you going with this hold on and it's missing an eye and its name is alistair they like adopted Uh. it and its name was alistair mad eye moody and so huh. they call him Alistair. Fun fact. Wow. Yeah. Uh, our patron of the episode is Leia. I feel like Leia's always the patron <laughs> <laughs> I swear I keep track of it. I just, I don't know. Anyway, thanks, Leia. You rock. You do. Speaking of our patrons... We kind of totally forgot until he sat down to record this episode about our patron giveaway. So it's been a little bit over a week, but we picked our winner just before he started recording. And our winner is, drumroll please, <laughs> Morgan! <laughs> um, and Morgan's house that she's going to get on her glass is... Ravenclaw! It is, yes. So um, we will be reaching out to her. Well, we already reached out to her by the time this episode comes out and sending that to her. Thank you so much for your support to all of our patrons. You hold special place in our hearts. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. Side note, before the episode begins, Katie's pop, another pop culture minute. Oh my God. Super quickly. I just finished watching All of Us Are Dead on Netflix the new Korean drama about a zombie, mm. like, apocalypse. Mm. It was so good. I encourage... It scary. It's not... It, it kind of is scary, but it's not, like, horror. It's kind of, like, more suspense and drama. Like, mm. the gore is almost kind of, like, overkill enough that it's, like, all right, okay. You know what I mean? Are there jump scares? There's one that really, really got me. But one in oh. 12 episodes is, like, nothing. Hmm. Um, but it's very good. I highly, highly recommend it to anybody who has an extra 12 hours laying around in their day <laughs> that they want to watch this show. It was so good, so well acted, so emotional, and it made a lot of like relative, um, relevant social commentary, oh. um, specifically about like COVID and the prejudice that came with COVID. Mm. Um, and it was, I think, particularly powerful being that was like a Korean drama and so like it kind of almost I saw it as like a social commentary on how like Asian people were treated and like the rise in Asian violence and hate against Asians that came from the pandemic um but I thought it was very good it really made you think it was very like powerful so I recommend it sounds good I probably won't watch because there's a jump scare but (laughs) there's one jump scare (laughs) It was a good one, too. It really, really got me. I screamed. 
No, thank you. <laughs> uh, okay. Any other announcements? I don't think so. All right. All right. So let's get into this fact file. Um, Mr. Mad-Eye Moody. His full name is Alistair Moody, as Katie pointed out at the top of the episode. And so Alistair is ancient Greek for he who does not forget and avenger, persecutor, tormentor, and also one who suffers from divine vengeance. Mm. Was Mad-Eye Moody an avenger? (laughs) It is now canon. He was an avenger. (laughs) Um... And it gives, it's similar in this way to, or his name is similar in this way to Electo Caro, because his name is also from ancient Greek. Um, Electo is, was one of the, the first of the Furies, um, and that means implacable anger. And Alistair is also similar to Alistair, which is the Scottish form of Alexander. So, like, I feel like Alistair sounds like kind of a very unique name to us, but, like, Alistair is just, like, Alexander in Scottish, mm. in Scotland, and, like, Alexander is not a very unusual name, at least in the United States. It's pretty common. Mm. Um, and then, obviously, his last name being Moody. Moody means temperamental, quickly changing moods. We all know what that means. And his nickname is Mad-Eye because he has a mad eye and he's also kind of mad. Um, (laughs) But yeah, there's not really an etymology on that. (laughs) Um, His birthday, we don't know, but is sometime before 1959. Yes. Which would be like the absolute earliest and I'm the absolute latest and he's definitely a lot older than that yeah wait how'd they get 59 though i don't know um okay as moody was noted to have already been in or during the first resume war which ended in 1981 he must have been at least 22 years old when he graduated hmm and he graduated from Hogwarts at 18, or returning takes a further three years, as revealed in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. So, yeah. Yeah, so to even be an Auror by the very end of the war. Yeah, and they've used the date, I guess he killed Evan Rosier in 1980. So mm-hmm. that was, like, the year that they used that he had to have at least been 22. But... Mm. He seemed to already have been, like, from the court memories that we've seen Goblet mm-hmm. Fire. He doesn't seem to be, like, a new aura at that time. No. He already seems to be, like, fairly high up in the ranks and fairly well-respected. So yep. my guess would probably be closer to 1939, making him, like, yeah, maybe even, But he retires by, like the 90s he's yeah but they also talk about like how it like really took a toll on him so i Mm. feel like he probably would retire a little bit younger i don't know though because like he is mad at moody wizard aging too yeah that's true yeah i mean my guess would be at the earliest more like 1939 but probably before then the 1959 yeah 
So probably more in like the 20s. So probably more similar to the age of Voldemort, honestly. Yeah. I would guess like, yeah. I would say he was... I would say he was at least 50 by the end of the First War. So like early, early 30s at the the youngest he could be in yeah. my head. Early 30s, 1930s birthday. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> he died. We do have a date for that. July 27th, 1997. Because um, that was the Battle of the Seven Potters. And that is when he passed. Rest in peace, Mad-Eye. Yeah. Do we think it could have been 28 after midnight? Like, what time do you think that they get to Privet Drive? But I I think they actually get there pretty early. Because I remember when they, like... Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking about the advance guard. Because I think they wait for it to get dark before they leave, for sure, but... And yeah. dark in the summer is in England is probably closer to like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. But It'd it also like didn't take long no, for him no. to die. It would probably so. be around like close to midnight, but Yeah. So for his appearance, he has one normal eye and one magical eye. The magical eye is vivid blue and moves independently, can see invisible things and through solid objects, including the back of his head. For the rest of his body, he has a missing leg. He's scarred from many battles with dark wizards. Like I said, a magical eye. A large chunk missing from his nose. And that he got from when he killed Rosier. Mm-hmm. Um, for occupation, he was an or obviously. And, like, presumably, like, we're told kind of that he was, like, high in the ranks or... Um, I don't know if there's, like, a head or yeah. <laughs> chief or position, but I would assume, like, he was near that. And career-wise, he was hired to be the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor, but he himself never served. Someone else served as him. So he was never a professor, but he was hired to be a professor. Yeah. Then his loyalties are to the Ministry up until... Order of the Phoenix-ish, then to the Order of the Phoenix and to Hogwarts, and like more specifically like Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about his loyalty later. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Little teaser there. Don't give it away. I won't. Um, So for his first mention, I'm actually going to talk about two, because one is the first time he's mentioned, and then one is the first time like he's on screen kind of thing like the first time we see him Mm -hmm. so the first one is right before the trio plus all the weasleys leave for king's cross and goblet of fire muggle neighbors heard bangs and shouting so they went to they went and called those what do you call them please men Arthur, you've got to get over there. Here, said Miss Weasley breathlessly, pushing a piece of parchment, a bottle of ink, and a crumpled quill into Mr. Weasley's hands. It's a real stroke of luck that I heard about it, too, said Mr. Diggory's head. I had 
to come into the office early to send a couple of owls and they found the improper use of magic law all saying off it was Rita Skeeter if Rita Skeeter gets a hold of this one Arthur what does Mad Eye say happened asked Mr. Weasley unscrewing the ink bottle loading his quill and preparing to take notes Mr. Diggory's head rolled its eyes says he heard an intruder in his yard says they were creeping towards the house but they were ambushed by his dustbins so mm. That's, like, technically the first mention of Mad-Eye. And then we get his grand entrance into the Great Hall. But at that moment, there was a deafening rumble of thunder, and the doors of the Great Hall banged open. A man stood in the doorway, leaning upon a long staff, shrouded in a black traveling cloak. Every head in the Great Hall swiveled towards the stranger, suddenly brightly illuminated by a fork of lightning that flashed across the ceiling. He lowered his hood, shook out... A long mane of grizzled, dark gray hair then began to walk up to the teacher's table. A dull clunk echoed through the hall on his every step. He reached the end of the top table, turned right, and limped heavily towards Dumbledore. Another flash of lightning crossed the ceiling. Hermione gasped. The lightning had thrown the man's face into sharp relief, and it was a face unlike any Harry had ever seen. It looked as though it had been carved out of weathered wood by someone who had only the vaguest idea of what a human fa- of what human faces <laughs> were supposed to look like, and was none too skilled with a chisel. <laughs> Every inch of skin seemed to be scarred. The mouth looked like a diagonal gash, and a large chunk of the nose was missing. But it was the man's eyes that made him frightening. One of them was small, dark, and beady. The other was large, round as a coin, and a vivid electric blue. The blue eye was moving ceaselessly without blinking and was rolling up and down from side to side quite independently of the normal eye. And then it rolled right over, pointing into the back of the man's head, so that all they could see was whiteness. So... First off, what is what a description, Honestly. but also, the eye sounds like it is not really as portrayed in the movie. Like it's not like strapped in. Yeah, there's never a mention that it was like stuck in because like he pops it out like multiple yeah, times. But I think he book. pops it out of like the actual socket. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like, like in the movie, he has like a patch that yeah. he put the eye on. No, because in, like, Order of the Phoenix, they talk about, like, when he comes to pick up Harry, he, yeah. like, is, like, it's been, like, sticky since that moron wore it and has to, like, plunk yeah. it into a glass. And it's never mentioned that he had to, like, open up his monocle first, you know? Yeah. That's really interesting. Because um, I feel like I'm so, as we always say, like, inundated with the movie image. Yeah. But... I, like, I don't know if they probably couldn't, like, or didn't want to have to do the special effects for that, yeah. but that would have been so much spookier if it, it was, like, been. his actual eye, and it, like, looked more like an eyeball, and, like, imagine, like, it looked like an actual eyeball, and sometimes it was just, like, turned around, so you just saw the whites of it, yeah, like... Yeah, that's really creepy. Instead of, like, looking like a googly eye, like... <laughs> yeah. It does look definitely, like, more comical. Mm-hmm. But, like, in that description, it comes off as, like, very creepy. <laughs> yeah, and it's, like, electric blue or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's... Yeah. That's cool. Um, also, like, <laughs> I was just thinking about this appearance in the movie when he, like... He, like, comes up on the cliff in the rain oh, outside yeah. Hogwarts. Like, and then he, like... I believe he walked the entire Yeah, day. and then he, like, storms in. And it's, like... I don't know. It's very, like frightening yeah speaking of those jump scares oh <laughs> no that's not that doesn't scare me it's not a jump scare. i will say in um 
we are all dead or whatever. There are multiple squished in eyeballs. So. <laughs> multiple one-eyed people. That doesn't people. bother me. Uh, all right. So, um, his Myers-Briggs personality type is ESTJ, which is dubbed the executive. Um, and it's the same type as McGonagall, Umbridge, and Barty Crouch Sr. So, I don't know. Four very interesting figures. So, executives are representative of representatives of tradition and order utilizing their understanding of what is right wrong and socially acceptable to bring families and communities together embracing the values of honesty dedication and dignity people with the executive personality type are valued for their clear advice and guidance and they happily lead the way on difficult paths um i mean his or career like specifically what he did during the first war uh like dedication i mean he like basically gave up parts of his body to try to capture death eaters um and he was like very driven by like it's not so much driven by order in the sense that like umbridge is like i must have order but he's like he just like hates bad guys basically and like the chaos that bad guys bring he's like really interesting because like his motivations I think are simultaneously like extremely clear but kind of confusing at the same time because like he's not like a super like goody two-shoes like hard nose like a crouch senior is but he is still like I think they they are like interesting foils for each other because they are Mm -hmm. both like so anti like dark wizards and the dark side but I feel like in so completely different ways Mm -hmm. and also like yeah, it's unclear. Well, we don't really know anything that has like made him to be this anti-dark wizards. Um and he's not like he's different from Crouch in like the like law and order kind of aspect of it. Like Moody will bend the rules. Yeah. And he's also different from like Dumbledore in that like Dumbledore has this whole history of why he doesn't like dark wizards and Dumbledore's also all about like love and acceptance yeah. and you know, like pure blood supremacy is bad and we never really see moody being like pure blood supremacy is bad it's more like those guys are bad and they happen to believe in blood supremacy like the more that we talk about the more i'm confused about his motivations it's, it's very unclear and it's like i don't know he doesn't like he doesn't have an origin story as like a like obviously we th- we talk about like villain origin stories, but he doesn't have like a like a cop origin story, you know, yeah. like how like in like TV shows about like cops or detectives, they're always like, like it's always like my well my was father murdered. was killed, yeah, <laughs> and so I wanted very to, Batman, <laughs> yeah, exactly, um, and so he doesn't have that like or that we know of, but it it just really comes across that like he doesn't like he just wants like bad people locked up yeah he like he's very much um like the cowboy cop archetype yeah which is kind of like the cop that is like i'll do whatever needs to get done to get the bad people off the streets you know like i'll do it all on my own if i have to i'll break the rules and that seems like very moody to me but because like cowboy cops generally have like a fairly like a backstory that makes them that way 
Yeah. Because they're, like, abnormal in, like, cop procedurals. Yeah. But it's just weird that we don't have that for Moody. And he never yeah. comes across as the character who does have a tragic backstory, really. No. Like, I'm not saying that he, he doesn't or that he couldn't, but he just doesn't seem like a character that's, like, haunted by his past, you know? Yeah, no. No. I don't know. It's very weird. <laughs> um, and so, also, in that, like, little blurb I just read, it's a, it talks about, like, taking the lead and, like willing to go their own if they have to and um he like obviously was the lead or and also he like kind of takes on a leadership role with the order too like it's not really formal like the order's hierarchical structure is like not really a thing like it's basically like Dumbledore and then like a democracy basically but um Moody is like always kind of deferred to when they're like special ops you know like he's always in charge and like everyone kind of just like accepts his authority because he is like really good at what he does um so speaking of leadership (laughs) demand for such leadership is high in democratic societies informing no less than 11 percent of the population it's no wonder that many of america's presidents have been executives Strong believers in the rule of law and authority that must be earned. Executive personalities lead by example, demonstrating dedication and purposeful honesty, and an utter rejection of laziness and cheating, especially in work. If anyone declares hard manual work to be an excellent way to build character, it is executives. And so there's this this touching on like how you need to earn authority and law the rule of law and there's like a couple ways to think about this with moody and like the only person we really see moody be like loyal to and like respect authority with is dumbledore who's someone who's like obviously earned that and we don't like he obviously like has some disdain for who has like come into power at the ministry and like seem you know very skeptical of like fudge and that crew of people and probably like doesn't think that they've earned that sort of power and um i can imagine like obviously there are other reasons that he doesn't like come back to the ministry to work as an or instead goes to the order but also or and order are really throwing me (laughs) awful (laughs) but um i can see like him not respecting the authority of people who haven't proven themselves to him and um i also think that this like sort of attitude also translates to like you have to earn authority and respect but you also have to like actions have consequences like someone that believes one of those things usually believes the other and like he is very much on the actions have consequences train like he wants all death eaters to pay for what they did like he doesn't really believe in like them being reformed or like getting to walk free because they gave somebody else's name or anything like he wants people to be punished for what they did and like it that is a very like by the book like bad people are bad good people are good you have to like do things to earn either of those distinctions and i feel like that's like moody's like very black and white and like who he trusts and supports and will do things for and who he is against like it's very i feel like it's very clear to him um and again like we see more in this description about leading by example dedication honesty and like 
totally anti like being lazy and cheating like I could see him being really against um like the Malfoys obviously because they're Death Eaters but like you know the cheating like paying to get your way in the world type of thing seems very not his style yeah executives are aware of their surroundings and live in a world of clear verifiable facts the surety of their knowledge means that even against heavy resistance they stick to their principles and push an unclouded vision of what is and is not acceptable their opinions aren't just empty talk either as executives are more than willing to dive into their most challenging projects improving action plans and sorting details along the way making even the most complicated tasks seem easy and approachable Again, like, he's just a man of his word. He sticks to his str- his morals. They're very strong, being anti-Voldemort and also, like, being pro-Dumbledore, pro-Harry. Um, this, like, talking about, like, action plans, like, he, like I said, like, he's in charge, the Battle of the Seven Potters. He's in charge for the, um, the advance guard and Order of the Phoenix and, like, we don't really know, like, who planned out all the logistics of that, but he seems very, like, battle-oriented, like, strategy-oriented. And he's telling everybody what to do, so we imagine that he, like, had a hand in, like, planning these things. And, like, it's not an easy task to coordinate 14 people all riding different things, going to different safe houses, all to get to the borough. And, like, he makes the Battle of the Seven Potters seem, like... Everyone knows what they're doing. Like, it goes off, like, fairly smoothly. Of course, he dies, but, like, the goal of the mission is accomplished. Yeah. Um, Executives don't work alone, and they expect their reliability and work ethic to be reciprocated. People with this personality type meet their promises, and if partners or subordinates jeopardize them through incompetence or laziness... Or worse still, dishonesty, they do not hesitate to show their wrath. This can earn them a reputation for inflexibility, a trait shared by all sentinel personalities. But it's not because executives are arbitrarily stubborn, but because they truly believe that these values are what make society work. Um, I feel like this gives the image of like how he's seen as intimidating and not someone you want to wrong, very much like... The first mention is about, like, him being kind of, kind of frightening looking, but he's very, like, we see that in his personality, too. He's, like, no nonsense, and, like, the students respect that and, like, don't try to mess with him. Um, he works well with others in the order, but he's definitely choosy about who he works with and who he trusts. So we do get, like, the insinuation that his relationship with Tonks is something kind of special and that, like, he saw something in her and thus kind of took her under his wing to become an Auror. And that was maybe rare that she was kind of, like, chosen by him. Um, and then, like, on the flip side, we see his relationship with Dung, where, like, Mundugus Fletcher, he sees the value in, like, needing him for certain tasks. And at, at a certain point, like, just needing him for, like, a body in the Battle of the Seven Potters. Um, but he knew that he was dishonest he knew that he was lazy and like wasn't really there for the right reasons and so he made the sacrifice and kept him close by so he could keep a watch on him and also so that no one else would get hurt by his lack of dedication to the cause um so I think he's like very good at like reading people and also like choosing who he wants on his side and who he trusts with responsibility um 
and like the this reputation of inflexibility like he always wants to stay on schedule whenever they're like leaving and the advance guard or this battle of the seven potters or moving anywhere he's like oh we got like we got to get moving we no time for chit chat um and yeah he likes to stick to the plan everybody else is a bit more can be a bit more lax <laughs> i would definitely uh, be on that i moody side of that i really don't like it when things go well, especially something so right. delicate. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, guys, get it together. <laughs> Literally. That would be me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for strengths, we have dedicated, strong-willed, direct and honest, loyal, patient and reliable, enjoy creating or- order, and excellent organizers. I think dedicated and strong-willed yeah. and loyal really jump out. I think direct and honest, too. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely, like, he's not gonna lie to you to protect your feelings. Yeah. I think, Um, like, looking at the, like, reliable, enjoy creating order and excellent organizers, like, remind me a lot of Barty Kurtz Sr., and you know how he has this, mm -hmm. like, same personality type. It's, again, kind of just, like, I don't think Mad-Eye Moody is, like, per se, like, an excellent organizer in the same way Mm. that, like, Crouch Sr. is. But, like, we talked about how, like, he executes all these plans. He, like, at the end of the day, like, you talk about that black and white is, like, creating the order he believes the world should live by, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of two sides of the same coin, the two of them. Yeah, definitely. Um... As far as weaknesses, we have inflexible and stubborn, uncomfortable with unconventional situations, judgmental, too focused on social status, difficult to relax, and difficulty expressing emotion. Um, the expressing emotion thing is definitely, like, tough guy moody. Like, yeah. <laughs> stone cold. Yeah. Um, and also, never he never relaxes, obviously, like, constant vigilance. Yeah. Like, never relax um, can't put his wand in his back pocket can't, can't drink out of cups that aren't his own flask <laughs> yeah he's always on edge always yeah. looking out for possible assassins yeah. accidents to happen um yeah no i think it's very like he's i hadn't even really thought about his motivations that much when i like made the came up with this and I think that's a different question, but, like, regardless of really what, like, his, his quote-unquote origin story is or his motivations, like, it's just very clear who he is. Like, right? Like, he's very consistent. He's always gonna be, like, working against the bad guys. Like, it's not so much... It really just doesn't seem like it's so much about, like, who the good guys are and, like, what they're trying to stop the bad guys doing. It's, like, he's just always going to be on the good side because, like, he believes that, like, dark magic and doing bad things should be punished and, like, you shouldn't be allowed to do it. Like, it's very much, like, actions have consequences. Like, you need to earn respect. Like, that kind of stuff. Like, I feel like he's just very, like, regimented in that belief. Yeah. So talking, going on to talk a little bit more about his motivations. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about his house because his house is not canon confirmed. Um, so we're going to talk about maybe the pros and cons of each of the four houses. I'm starting off strong with Hufflepuff. Um, 
I think it's really, I found this article published by MuggleNet by one Rika Van Kotraman, maybe? Probably pronouncing your name wrong. I'm very sorry. Um, (laughs) But they wrote this article entitled Mad-Eye Moody is a Hufflepuff. And so I'm just going to run through some of the points that they make. Um, So I think their opening paragraph, very strong. I'm just going to read it word for word. When fans think of Mad-Eye Moody, many of them probably automatically think Gryffindor. Sure, it takes daring, nerve, and chivalry to be the Ministry of, Ministry of Magic's most famous and heavily scarred aura, but Cedric Diggory, Luna Lovegood, and Regulus Black are evidence enough that Gryffindor does not own courage. Mad-Eye Moody <laughs> has plenty of courage, but I would argue that his persistence, resilience, unwavering loyalty, and unquestionable trustworthiness, all qualities associated with Hufflepuff, make up the core of his character. So, starting off strong here. Um, The next point that they make goes into more of his loyalty and how, like, the rest of the wizarding world kind of thinks that Mad-Eye Moody is, like, lost his marbles, is a little crazy, but everybody who knows him has, like, great loyalty to him, trusts them with their lives, and, like, he does that back to them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just going into, like, more of how loyal of a person he is. I thought this was hilarious. So, Mad-Eye, or Moody's loyalty, caution, and resilience make him an ideal candidate for Hufflepuff House. He also filled half the cells in Azkaban with Voldemort's followers during the First Wizarding War, which I would argue makes him a particularly good binder. <laughs> um, but the rest of this, the rest of this paragraph goes into his like willingness to sacrifice himself for like his own like the greater good quote unquote Mm. um like a disregard for his own limb shows recklessness however moody is anything but reckless remember constant vigilance so like while you think that like his the amount of scars he has like the danger he puts himself in you'd think that he was reckless but he's actually like kind of the opposite of reckless he like knows full well how to handle those situations and like trust himself in those situations Mm. And so, like, it's, like, more of a calculated move than a, like, Harry jumping into dangerous situations. I, like, the Gryffindor, you know, like, I'm just going to jump in without thinking, mm-hmm. without a plan. Like, mad Moody, we've talked about him. He always has a plan. <laughs> um, <laughs> then the next paragraph is kind of talking about how, like, no, he doesn't really fit the, like, archetypal hufflepuff like he's not warm and fluffy and cheerful he doesn't <laughs> bake cookies teddy bear. and crochets <laughs> or tend to his house plants in his spare time um but he certainly isn't devoid of warmth either the best examples of moody's kindness actually come from Bertie crouch jr <laughs> all right <laughs> um but then they end the paragraph saying moody would have been the best grandpa to teddy lupin I, oh my god, that'd be so cute. I have a potential example of Moody's kindness, though. Yeah, there's, like, a couple in here, but give me like, yours. I think this is him. When um, they're, like, the night before they go back to Hogwarts, Order of the Phoenix, like, and they're looking at the picture of the Order, doesn't Moody, like, try to, like... Is he the one that he does, he's not the one that brings the photo, right? He's the he one is. that like tries oh he is. Yeah, and he gives it to Harry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 
He also, like, congratulates Ron for becoming prefect, because, like, that's, like, semi the point of that party, basically. Yeah. Um, and then, like, he, kind of the biggest part of that is, like, he gives Harry that picture, and, like, Harry was, like, super down, and, like, Lupin, or, well, Moody might not have known that, but, like, Harry really mm-hmm. needed that in that moment, because he was, like, struggling with his own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there's some compassion under that gruff exterior. <laughs> Um, I I like that. I knew as soon as I gave you this section that you were gonna make it about Hufflepuff. But I really had no intention of that. Like I was like, there's no way he's Hufflepuff. I definitely fell into that. Like obviously he's a Gryffindor, and we'll talk about like pros and cons mm-hmm. of Gryffindor later. Um, but I thought this article was really interesting, and it actually seems to be like a semi popular opinion, which I was shocked at. Like the core thread that I also pulled from from the other houses, that author also comes to the conclusion that Hufflepuff is the best house for him. Mm. But there's more. Um, The author of this article says, I became thoroughly convinced that Mad-Eye Moody is a true Hufflepuff when I realized he's basically a badger. Badgers form close-knit social networks that they would defend with their lives. Badgers are ferocious fighters with remarkable resilience, even capable of taking on lions and crocodiles. Badgers tend to avoid confrontation, but will not back down if threatened. Mm. So... Pretty good. Pretty good, pretty good. Um, the conclu- conclusion paragraph is, Mad-Eye Moody is definitely Hufflepuff at heart, tough, loyal, persistent, hardworking, fierce, resilient, and kind. Now please someone draw Mad-Eye Moody as a badger. <laughs> so I really think that Hufflepuff is like a low, I would also just like, I think him being in Hufflepuff, like picturing him and Hufflepuff in school would just be hilarious. Like, surrounded by the people that are, like, archetypal Hufflepuffs. I and him just really being, funny. like, yeah. grumbling around. Like, and being, like, super grumpy. <laughs> and, like, him, like, creating these bonds with, like... I don't know. I could just see him as, like, you know that, like, thing where it's, like, looks like a cinnamon roll could actually kill you. I feel like yeah, he's, yeah, like... Yeah. He's, like... He's looks the like they could kill you, but it's actually a cinnamon he's roll. He's a teddy bear. Yeah. I love when, like, big... Like, big scary guys are teddy bears (laughs) yeah i think that i think that madame moody could definitely be that i think that he's probably a little bit awkward like he was awkward when he was like giving harry the photograph Mm -hmm. but you know like he has good intentions and that's what matters Mm -hmm. so next i'm going to talk about ravenclaw um yes he's smart and clever but like he's never shown as like particularly witty Mm. um so yeah there's that um and I think the biggest thing I kind of alluded to this earlier I've decided that a really good like determinant for which house you're in is like would you act first and think later or think first and act later and I think that like think first and act later houses are like Ravenclaw and Slytherin and I think that act first and think later houses are Hufflepuff and Gryffindor. I think that they're Wait, for different but I thought reasons. We, you just talked about Hufflepuff and he was a planner. Like, he's not brash like a Gryffindor. That's true. I just contradicted my own self there. But I think that, like, I think Hufflepuff is a act first, think later in, like, certain situations. Like, I don't mm. think they're always like that, but I could see, like, them being, like... Like, you know, when somebody's threatened, they would, like, act first and think later Mm. in that situation. And I guess, like, maybe Ravenclaw and Southern would do that as well. But I think that's just, like, a good kind of, like, 
off the bat thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that contradicts me saying he's a Hufflepuff, but I just think that, like, in general, that might be a good question to ask when you're trying to, like, mm-hmm. sort characters. Um, but, like I said, he's definitely, like, a think. Oh, I have him as an act first, think later kind of guy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't know, which do you think he is? Do you think he's act first or think first? Because I could see him like he's good at planning, but like in the situation, he acts first. You know what I mean? I know, but I I get what you're saying, but I also think that in this situation, like a lot of people act first. Yeah. Like, right, like obviously in battle, he's going to act first, but yeah. like, I think like any good. But he definitely goes in with a plan. That. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I think you need to flush out this theory a bit more. I'm having yeah. trouble applying it. I know. <laughs> Anyways, going back to Ravenclaw. <laughs> um, I think, like, the biggest knock against Ravenclaw, in my opinion, is, like, I don't think he really values education and knowledge. Like, mm. he definitely seems more of a, like, experience gives you that as opposed to, like, studying yeah. and reading and, like, practicing gives you yeah. that. Um, and I think you, like, kind of talked about that in, like, the – in your Myers-Briggs, like, along the same lines of, like, manual labor, like, pushing people – like learn from acting kind of thing yeah i think he's very much like hands-on yeah you you learn from experience and i like agree with that i think that makes him like i think he while like ravenclaws can value like learning from experience i think they they like think you need the base of the like theoretical and educational like aspect yeah and i think he probably doesn't like see as much value in that I will say, this is, like, it's so hard, right? Because so much of what we know about Moody is actually from Junior. But, like, you could see in the way that Junior taught his class, um, it was very much hands-on experience. And, like, that obviously is for a reason. Like, Junior had his motives for that. But that could potentially be, like, we always talk about, like, why didn't Dumbledore figure it out? Like... If that's in line with, we have to assume that Dumbledore didn't figure it out because some things were very well acted and in line with Moody's character. And, like, I think that's probably something that, like, Dumbledore would not have questioned Moody being, like, these kids need to see the unforgivable curses in action. Or, like, they need to have um, Imperius Curse placed on them. Like, Dumbledore would not have been, like, oh, that's not a Mad-Eye Moody thing to do. Like, Dumbledore been like, yeah, that's definitely how he would decide to teach somebody. Yeah, so I think, like, honestly, that's, like, my biggest knock because for him to become an Auror, like, we know that that takes smarts. Like, we see Harry, like, we see through Harry, like, the classes that they have to take and, like, the grades that they have to get Mm -hmm. to move on in those classes. And then we hear about training from Tonks and how, like, it's not easy. So obviously, like, he's smart, um, but he seems more of, like, a street smart kind of guy than, like, a book smart kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think that, like, rules out Ravenclaw. And then Slytherin, I think it's, like, honestly fairly easy <laughs> to, like, eliminate Slytherin, um, not only because of the, like, very anti-bad guy that, like, 
he just like would not work well in Slytherin. <laughs> yeah. Wait, no, you you oh, continue. Okay. Um, so I think that's like kind of the obvious reason, but like putting that aside, um, I don't think he really is an ambitious person. Like obviously he climbed the ranks in the ministry to become an or and to become like top or whatever we're calling it. Mm. Um, but like he never did that for like the recognition and the power. He like did that for the motives that we're struggling to come up with for him. You know, just like kind of out of like loyalty and like duty to the job basically and like duty to like get rid of all the bad guys you know yeah he's not like looking for accolades in that situation no i totally agree aside is that you use the word duty which i think is a very hufflepuff thing yeah so that's another plus in that column but um i do agree that he like wasn't ambitious in that sense um and probably just rose through the ranks because like he was good at his job yeah um but I will say the one thing for Slytherin that I thought about earlier is, like, we were kind of saying, like, he'll do whatever it takes, right? And, like, very, like, ends justify the means. Um, The ends being bad guys in Azkaban, right? The means being he'll try to capture them, but, like, if he has to use unforgivable curses, which I'll talk about later, like, he's not against that. And ends justify the means is a very Slytherin thing, I don't think that makes him a Slytherin. I think Slytherin is probably the weakest case. Yeah. Um, like, I feel like this is a pretty cut, clear-cut Hufflepuff or Gryffindor or house to date, but um, I do think that is something that, like, he has that trait in him. Yeah. I definitely think, like, um, like, I agree with you. I think his, like, willingness to do what it takes is definitely a little bit more Slytherin, mm-hmm. uh, but I think, like, the motives behind him doing what it takes are Hufflepuff. Yeah. Or Gryffindor, you know. Um, So for Gryffindor, I don't really have a lot because I think, like, it's kind of just, like, surface-level things that make him a Gryffindor. Like, he's Mm. insanely brave. He does sacrifice himself, which is, like, so Gryffindor. (laughs) Um, He's, like, daring. But I really liked that paragraph in the MuggleNet article that I read that's, like, he's not brave out of, like, chivalry. Mm-hmm. he's brave out of like he's brave out of like his loyalty to do what's right and like his duty and the way he sees the world is like black and white as opposed to like mm-hmm. i feel like gryffindor are sometimes like just brave for like no reason <laughs> like harry is just brave because like i know that's the way he is a lot of the times like yeah but I think that, like, Moody has a little bit, like, more behind his bravery. And I'm not saying that, like, all Gryffindors are brave for no reason and stupid and, like, put themselves in bad situations like Harry does. Um, but just, like, breaking down, like, how he's brave and why he's brave, I think falls a little bit more on the Hufflepuff side, in my opinion. Um, but I could definitely see, like, an argument being made for Gryffindor, and I would buy him being in either of the houses. I think the motivation for bravery is, like, it's, like, doing what's right, which, like, I'm not saying is inherently Hufflepuff and not Gryffindor, but I feel like it just breaks down more on the Hufflepuff side. Yeah, I I don't know, because, like, honestly, a lot of Harry's motivation, like, I know he's, like, he gets himself in situations where he has to be more brave than he 
would have to be if he like planned things out and i think that's the gryffindor thing but like harry's motivations are to do what's right but yeah i isn't there something you know how there's always like these things to you know like litmus tests for the houses and there's something about like doing good like there's some there's something about like motivations and Mm. i can't that i've like seen at one point and i can't remember what it is and i I want to, like, use that on Moody here. But, I don't know. I'm having trouble. Well, like, it's also, like, his motivations, like we've said, are fairly unclear. So that's also, like, makes it more difficult. Yeah. Um, And definitely, like, I would say that another point for Gryffindor is I think what you were talking about earlier is how he sees the world as very black and white. I think that's definitely more Gryffindor than Hufflepuff, in my opinion. Mm. Um, Like, I'm not saying that's an inherently Gryffindor trait, but I think seeing the world as black and white is more Gryffindor than Hufflepuff. The Hufflepuffs are, like, very skilled at seeing the gray in situations. Um, Yeah, I would say, though, for Moody. I would say, though, like, black and white, like, fair and unfair, good and bad, I think are, like, way more Hufflepuff gryffindor viewpoints than ravenclaw slytherin and so again i feel like he's fitting all of these things where it like distinguishes like in that way between the houses because i think we often can make that distinction between ravenclaw and griffin uh, ravenclaw and slytherin one side gryffindor and hufflepuff on that other side but i think like we're having trouble doing the like next break yeah (laughs) i think it really comes down to like what you believe his motivations are um and I think those are super unclear and I I mean I really did like this article and it like kind of convinced me that he's a Hufflepuff I really think um what I was thinking about earlier when you were talking about like his relationship with Tonks I think that could also maybe a point be a point Mm. in that he's a Hufflepuff you know like taking another Hufflepuff under his wing um and like their connection I think that's definitely a stretch like I just think that it would be like headcanon I think that would be really cute if that were yeah. the case. Um, I don't know. I definitely lean more towards Hufflepuff just because I... Not even just because it's Hufflepuff, but I think I really like it when um, characters kind of go in, like, unexpected houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in this situation, like, Gryffindor would definitely be the expected house for him. Yeah. So I think that would be cool if he was a Hufflepuff. Um yeah i am with you i think i think based on like what we talked about i think like hufflepuff is the best option like i think it makes the most sense um as a house i also think that like it is cool like you know to have characters in unexpected houses and i think it really fits him super well i think i'm just like kind of having a like dilemma right now about like putting characters in Gryffindor I think it's particularly hard when we do these kind of breakdowns for characters that we don't know what house they're in I think it's hard for us to put them in Gryffindor because I think we like to like you know spread it out amongst the houses more so than the author did but I also think that like I think we have trouble putting them in Gryffindor because I think sometimes what a Gryffindor is is like hard to pin down because Yes, Gryffindors are brave, but like that Mugglenet article said, like 
everyone's brave. Yeah. Or anyone can be brave, which is the case for, like, yes, Ravenclaws are smart. Anyone can be smart, right? But, like, I just think that, like, the scenario, like, most characters are brave at some point in this series. And so we're always like, okay, they were brave there, but, like, why? And I think pinning down the, like, motivations of a Gryffindor is difficult. And I think it's a lot easier to, like, get at the character of a Hufflepuff, a Ravenclaw, or a Slytherin in some sense than to get at the character of a Gryffindor. And I don't know if this is, like, making sense, and I don't know if I'm just, like, spiraling because I can't think of, like, really good reasons for Moody to be in Gryffindor besides him being, like, courageous. Yeah. But I think I'm, like, I'm having trouble, like, filling in more of, like, what makes a complete Gryffindor at the moment. Yeah, I think that, like, I go back to, like, recklessness, I mm. think I always tie towards Gryffindor and, like, the motive... Like, I know I've said this so many times, but, like, the motivation behind the bravery. And, like, yes, everybody who's, like, fighting the Order of the Phoenix pretty much has the same motivation. Like, we want to get rid of Voldemort for the greater good of the wizarding world, basically. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, a lot of times where I can draw the line between, like, Gryffindor bravery and other bravery is, like, the self-sacrifice, the recklessness, yeah. the, like act without thinking the like throwing themselves into dangerous situations for like seemingly no reason yeah but i think that's interesting because like then we see hermione who like doesn't really do any of that at all mm-hmm. for the most part so i don't know it's definitely tough because do all think, of these characters yeah. that we talk about pretty much are like they're going through war so like they are all like taking on the t- like the mantle and like being brave all the time basically right and so i think like in non-war time it might be like easier easier to parse out yeah but like because of the calling of like taking up arms against Voldemort is like so fairly obvious to a lot of the characters that we meet it's like not a hard decision that Mm -hmm. it's like how do we distinguish that yeah if that makes sense at all yeah no you're right and i do think like I do think that maybe we're underestimating the, like, do what's right part of Gryffindor. Like, I think the self-sacrifice and the recklessness and the fiery and all that, like, that is a Gryffindor. But I also think that, like, the motivations of a Gryffindor, I think, are, like, doing what is right. Like, I do think that, like, I get that there can be, like, some, like, rash acting and, like, you know, throwing yourself into things to throw yourself into things and just be, like, the knight in shining armor because no one else is there to be the knight in shining armor. But I do think that, like, the core, the heart, the heart is, like, doing what's right. And that's difficult to, like, parse out from Hufflepuff because maybe Hufflepuff is more, like, do what's good. Yeah. Right? Hufflepuff is maybe, like, more do good for people, whereas, like, Gryffindor is, like, do what's right, like, fulfill, like, and w- which, like, now I'm saying half of the things, but, like, fulfill your duty and, like, yeah. you well, know. Well, I think that, like, goes back to kind of what I was saying is, like, I feel like Gryffindor is much more a black and white kind of house yeah. than Hufflepuff. Um, and, like, I know we've talked about, like, moral codes also being different with all the houses and, like, the moral code, I think that generally is given to Gryffindor it like contradicts what I just said but they're more they like have their own moral code 
and mm. they kind of stick to that um I don't know it's all just very confusing <laughs> yeah. I feel like they all overlap and it's we got a message, I think it was on Facebook or Instagram not too long ago, and it was from somebody who was like, hey, I've like taken a couple house quizzes, I get a different house every time, when I took the combined houses, I got like exactly equal these two houses, like what is your advice on how to decide between those two? And like, I'm not very good at that, because I'm not good at giving people houses, like I'm notoriously just like, I never, I don't know. Um, but like, the, what I told them is like, I think it could maybe be applied in this situation too is like you do have a say in your house you know like we see that in the series Mm. um I also think like something we've talked about before that maybe doesn't apply to this but like with housing in general is I think that the sorting hat also takes into account like the success that a person would have in that house Mm. um like conflicting personalities I forget which um which character we talked about that for but I think that could also play a role in like maybe him being a Gryffindor I think that he would like I think he would thrive in Hufflepuff but I think that he would like fit in better in Gryffindor like there would be more mm. people like him mm-hmm. um so I don't know there's also just like I feel like there's also considerations that are made just that aren't just like personality based as yeah. well and also like the tried and true it's like it's what you value right so it's all just very confusing. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's what you value and do we think that do we think his they, motivations come down to doing good or doing what's right is like really the real question here, I think. And because we've we're so unclear with his motivations, it makes it so hard. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I also think though like we didn't really talk too much about what he values, but I think based on like what I was talking about with the Myers-Briggs, like I think he values like people who work hard and people who make like <laughs> we're using all the same words over and over again but I think he he values like that Myers-Briggs personality type was talking about like being totally against laziness totally against cheating valuing people who earn their authority earn their respect like through hard work and through like showing that you deserve that and I think and then they give them their loyalty (laughs) value I think that value is a Hufflepuff value yeah like I think yeah yeah I think like I think a Gryffindor unfair kind of guy I think which is also like kind of ties back to Hufflepuff quite a bit I think the like what I was talking about like you were you were a death eater once you deserve to be punished for that like I think that is quote-unquote fair like I think he sees that as like that is the fair thing is like to have to like pay for your choices and I think obviously a Gryffindor would be like you were a death eater you suck but like I (laughs) I can't remember what I was gonna say on the Gryffindor side of that um uh, oh oh back to the like earning through hard work like earning respect and stuff like earning your authority I do think that a Gryffindor would be more likely to just give their like respect to -hmm. someone because they're like (laughs) super good at magic like (laughs) you know like oh they did a great duel once whereas I feel like Moody would like see right through that and be like no like 
get out there and capture 10 Death Eaters. Yeah. I think I think you just sold me on him being a Hufflepuff. I really think, like, the hard work and the, like, um, the experience-driven, not like, mm-hmm. knowledge is not the right mm-hmm. word. But, like, the how he, like, values kind of experience over anything. And, like, he respects people who, like, work hard and put themselves in dangerous situations, I think is very, like, Hufflepuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like to him, sorry, one last thing, is that I feel like to him, like, he's putting himself in the dangerous situations, but, but he doesn't feel like he's earned the respect because he was in dangerous situations. He feels like he's earned the respect because he's, like, gotten all these bad people out of the world, whereas I feel like a Gryffindor would be like, you have to respect me because, like, I lost part of my nose, like, Mm. I lost my leg, like, you know. Yeah. Like, I have these battle scars. Yeah. I like that. Anyway, I do think I come down on the Hufflepuff side. I just am having trouble, like, yeah, like I would putting it, putting into words. I would buy either of the houses. Yeah, honestly. for sure. Like I for think sure. we talk about this all the time. Like Hermione could have been a Ravenclaw, you yeah. know, and I think that people definitely fit multiple houses. Like you're not. It's kind of like divergent. Like you're not just <laughs> one. <laughs> there are people who are many of them. Yes. Um, so yeah. I think we're going to have to put up a poll when we post this. Yeah. See what people's thoughts are. I know, but I want people to, like, actually listen and then answer the poll. Yeah. We'll put it up the day after. <laughs> I would, All right. Speaking of that, just super quickly, I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, if you don't think that purely voting is enough, message us. I think that this is a really interesting discussion that I honestly didn't expect to be so... <laughs> in depth and back and forth like I literally have one note for Gryffindor and we just talked about Gryffindor for like half an hour I know but I think that seeing that you had one note for Gryffindor like put me in this existential crisis of like what even is a Gryffindor like we have one note for him being a Gryffindor yeah Ah, okay anyway let's talk about all of these amazing feats of bravery um so his career as we know he was in order during the first wizarding war probably some time leaning up to it um and he also served in the or fuck he also served in the <laughs> order during this time he was in or and he was also in the order, order. those are mutually not mutually exclusive yes um so with the war dragging on, the ministry authorized Aurors to use unforgivable curses, and Moody did kill a few Death Eaters because of this. Um, as Katie mentioned earlier, we know he killed Rosier in 1980, and that was when he lost a piece of his nose. And also potentially Wilkes around the same time. It's, like, mentioned that they were killed, like, around the same time, and uh, it's unclear if, like, Moody had a hand in that, but... Honestly, based on, like, it sounds like he did all the work. Probably. (laughs) Um, We do know that, like, throughout the war, it was long, dragged on, some brutal fights. He attained a lot of injuries, um, and he did lose his leg at some point, but we don't know how he lost his leg. We just know about his nose. Um, He usually, he tried to capture Death Eaters alive. I think this, like, I think... Wait, sorry. <laughs> Is this about Hufflepuff? Kind of. But it's something that you that came from this. 
So I talked a lot about, or I didn't talk a lot about, but it was mentioned his loyalty to Dumbledore and how, like, he's a loyal person. He's so anti-bad guy, but his loyalty trumps that to Dumbledore, and he's able to, like, see past Snape being a Death Eater at one point. Just saying. Uh, Because he trusts Dumbledore so much. So much that, like, he goes against, like, pretty much his own, his, like, his whole moral code of, like, once you're bad... You are bad. You're bad. Yeah. He's able to, like, look past that solely because of his, like, loyalty and trust in Dumbledore. Yeah, because like, Dumbledore told, then his told him this person is good. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Just good one point. point out. Okay. So, anyway, he usually tried to capture Death Eaters alive. I think this is probably, like... I think, like, he wanted them to pay, and he probably didn't think, like, a quick death was mm. enough to pay. Um, I think he also probably, like... He probably preferred not to kill people and it probably is like a point of pride to be like yeah like i captured that one like maybe that's yeah. a little bit of a gryffindor side is like mm. it's showy. harder to capture someone alive you know yeah. um but i also would argue that killing people is very anti hufflepuff so like yeah. the other side is not hufflepuff you know what i mean yeah um we know that he tracked igor karkaroff for six months before capturing him and this says sixth months, not six months. <laughs> sixth months. Six, the number. Um, months before capturing him and sending him to Azkaban. And it said that Moody was responsible for half the cells in Azkaban. The half, half the Death Eaters in cells in Azkaban. And it legit seems like he was involved in every capture that we know of. And, like, I don't know if this is just a, like, I feel like this is exaggerated to show us, like, how good of an aura he was. But also, I feel like it kind of shows us that the ministry was, like, really understaffed. And, (laughs) like, Moody was just, like, out there working 24-7 because, like, there weren't enough other people working for the good side. Is it because he's a hard worker? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so we do see, like, a glimpse of this era Moody at Karkaroff's trial. Um, more on that memory in our previous episode. But Karkaroff, uh, names Antonin Dahlhoff, Evan Rosier, who Moody had already killed, Travers, Mosber, and Severus Snape as names of Death Eaters. These are all ones that, like, had already been captured, known as Death Eaters, or killed, and then he also gives Augustus Rookwood's name, who is an unspeakable working as a double agent. And we don't see, like, the fallout from this, because I think in the memory they just, like, send Karkaroff back to Azkaban. And they're like, we're going to discuss this. Yeah. But uh, Karkaroff ends up getting released because of this. And More on that in our Karkaroff episode. <laughs> yeah. And this sets up Moody's dislike of Karkaroff really well, which... We personally never see the two of them, those two actual characters, interact um, besides this one memory. But that is an important point because it masks the fact that Barty Coucher Jr. strongly dislikes Karkaroff. Um, and you get this conflation of like, Mad Eye Moody hates nothing more than a Death Eater that walked free. Because, like, he's on the good side. And he tried to get all those Death Eaters and he captured all of them. And, like, Karkaroff walked free even though, though he got captured. Barty Crouch Jr. 
also hates nothing more than a Death Eater that walked free. But that's because, like, Barty Crouch Jr. sees a Death Eater that walked free as someone who, like, abandoned Voldemort and didn't pay the price that he paid. So that's, like, an important point that, like, you can have fake Moody acting against Karkaroff in such a way that is consistent with Junior's uh, motivations, but also, like, keeps you believing that it is Mad-Eye Moody. Um, and so we know that he kept hunting Death Eaters post-war and after the collapse of Voldemort, and it's, like, not really clear, you know, when exactly all this happened, but at one point he did lose his eye sometime between, because I think he... Does he have his eye in the memory? I think he has both of his eyes in at least one of the memories. Yeah, I think in the wiki it says he has his eye. Yeah. Um, I would buy it. So we don't really know what caused him to lose his eye. And we know that he mentored Tonks and then retired, it appears, probably sometime late 80s, early 90s. My guess would actually be he was, like, late 80s. Because, eh, I guess it wasn't really public knowledge that Voldemort was, like, coming back in the early 90s. Yeah, so he was obviously retired by 1994. Um, and, like, we don't really know how long he was retired for. Like, honestly, I would kind of buy it if, like... He literally retired, and then, like, three months later, Dumbledore is like, so, yeah. you want to be Defense Against the Dark Arts, Professor? But um, we just know that he was, like, around long enough to, to mentor Tonks through um, her horror training. Yep. Um, so then, super quickly, his role in the second Wizarding War. Um, so we know that Moody joined the Order of the Phoenix, like, really basically from jump um and he was able to like uh use his contacts inside the ministry to kind of like recruit others i.e tonks um he was like very involved in all of the work that dumbledore and the order did to like fight get fight back against Voldemort. um starting with an order of the phoenix um protecting the prophecy he was like a big part of that operation um also in order of the phoenix he goes to get harry from privet drive at the very beginning and like leads that whole flight and is like super cautious he like makes them like double back so many times and they're all like this is awful um then he later in order of the phoenix he participates in the battle of the department of mysteries he shows up with the rest of the order then then in Half-Blood Prince, he participates in the Battle of the Astronomy Tower once the Death Eaters infiltrate Hogwarts. And then he spearheads the Seven Potters plan. He was not the one who came up with the idea. It was Mundungus via Snape? Mm. Via Dumbledore? Did the portrait give him that idea? Am I making that up? Uh, I don't know. Anyways, it was not Moody, nor was it Mundungus. It was Snape. Um, who came up with that plan and planted the idea in Mundungus's head and Mundungus brought that to Moody. But he was the one who like executed it and was like led the operation the day of. Um, he partnered up with Mundungus. Mundungus was his, ha- or his Harry. 
um, to keep an eye on him. But Voldemort went straight to Moody during this because he assumed that Harry would be put with like the most experienced protector, which was Moody. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Mundungus saw Voldemort, he apparated and abandoned Moody, and Moody was killed and fell off his broom and down into the depths below. And Bill and Fleur saw this happen. They went back to recover his body, but it was already gone. Um, We learn later that the Death Eaters probably recovered it, and somehow Umbridge ends up with the eye. Like, I'm not really sure how that happened. Um, Because, like, her ties to the Death Eaters are never, like, explicit Mm. throughout the books. Um, So I don't know how she ended up with that, I assume. I don't know. But she did. Yeah. So his resting place is unknown. Rip. Yeah. Very sad. That like um like Hedwig and then Moody are like the first two deaths that happen in Deathly Hallows. And I think that the death of Moody really takes its toll on everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, he was seen as kind of, like, as much as Dumbledore was, like, the leader of the Order of the Phoenix, I think Moody was more the, like, boots-on-the-ground leader of the Order of the Phoenix. Boots Um, on the ground and, like, so much experience, like, he couldn't be touched. Yeah. Or couldn't be killed. Yeah, and I think, like, there there are definitely, like, sentiments like that from, I think, Harry. He's, like, it could, like, when they hear that he's dead, everybody's, like, no. There's no way Moody could get killed. Like, what? Mm -hmm. That's just not possible like he was the strongest of us yeah like maybe not the best wizard but the strongest yeah i think like his death always like hits me quite emotionally when i read that not because Mm -hmm. i'm like sad (laughs) not that like moody is one of my favorite characters but i think like the reaction of everybody else and like how harry processes that and kind of like what he was to them as like a symbol and a leader um and like losing that and kind of it almost parallels like a loss of hope almost it's like if they can kill moody like what about us yeah yeah i agree all right so we do have a cocktail for mr mad eye moody um it is called the Or. and is it the or or the order (laughs) or (laughs) it's like have you ever seen 30 rock Yes. The worlder. Worlder. <laughs> um, okay. So it's a, it is a shot, which I oh. feel like is good for maybe, yeah. like, especially because, like, they all take, like, shots of fire whiskey. Yeah, like, it's the first time he has fire like, whiskey. <laughs> um, so it says, with just a wave of his wand, Mad-Eye can conjure up one of these quite easily. You, on the other hand, will just have to practice. <laughs> Layering like this isn't too hard when you've done it a few times. Um, so it's a layered shot. Uh, Lovely. So it is half part vodka, half part blue curacao, and half part grenadine. Oh. Um, it says first carefully pour in the grenadine, then using a spoon layer on the curacao, and next the vodka. Fire off a few random curses down in one. Interesting. 
Uh, that drink seems like flamboyant for Moody. Yeah, like especially like because like yeah. it's blue curacao, so it's blue, and grenadine is red, so it's yeah. like very colorful. Um, I don't really see it like, especially because like curacao is like orangey liquor, right? Yeah, like it's definitely flavored. Like, um, it has a flavor. I, I would like... see Moody as like a glass of bourbon or like yeah. whiskey. I feel like definitely a dark liquor, not a clear liquor. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is citrus flavored. Um, like I feel like I could do that shot, and that's like really saying something. Yeah, I don't. I don't really feel like it's a. I don't. I don't feel like it fits Moody very well. I feel like they could have. I feel like a good one would have just been like Fireball, like yeah. as a callback to them doing fire whiskey. Yeah. Shots. Well. Archie, we have <laughs> Consult us for next you. time. You've let us down. <laughs> okay, so for today's pop quiz, we're doing it a little bit differently. We really want to know what house you think Mad Eye Moody would be in, but we really wanted to like um, plead our case before we got your thoughts. Um, so we'll post it on Facebook and Instagram either the day this episode comes out or the day after. Um, so yeah, I'm just like, I'm very curious to see how you come down on this line and what your reaction to our debate was. You as in all of you. <laughs> all right. Um, you can find us on various podcast platforms and make sure you go give us a rating on Spotify. That's my new... We gotta get up those ratings on Spotify now. Yeah. Um, to answer a pop quiz question, you can email us at wizardsizepodcast at gmail.com. You can message us on Facebook, where Wizard Size Podcast, message us on Instagram, Wizard Size Podcast, or tweet at us at Wizard Studies. Okay. Uh, As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. Bye.